all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. You know, and that this will be exposed for what it is, you know, one of the biggest medical crimes of the century. This podcast is sponsored by the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 220 with Ross Anderson. Also welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn three main things. Number one, the three North America Lime lawsuits that are fighting for you. Why you can't sue the CDC, even though you want to. And how to join Ross's efforts to start a new Lime patient class action lawsuit. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout out to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have half a million downloads. Yay. I still can't so believe exciting, it. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aurora and I really, really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You are now an official Lime Ninja. Yes, welcome. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week we've had listeners tune in from Ethiopia to Estonia and from Argentina to Australia. Tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Ross Anderson. Ross Anderson was infected with Lyme disease years ago. Upon experiencing the quality of treatment he was provided and seeing other people in the Lyme community misdiagnosed and mistreated, he was inspired to put together a class action lawsuit. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Ross Anderson. Hello, Ross. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, McKay. How are you doing? Pretty good. I really want to thank you for taking time out of your vacation to speak with us. It's pretty awesome. So if you hear a few crackles on the line, we're going through the internet and then through self-towers and all the way over to Hawaii. Am I right? Yeah, I'm probably a little bit through outer space as well. So. <laughs> A long way to go, but this is an important talk topic, so it's important that we have this conversation. So thanks again for carving some time out of your vacation to speak with us and the listeners out there. And 
kind of why don't I always like to start a little bit with the Lyme story, and I know we talked a little bit before, and so many of the stories have the same theme, but I think it's important for people to hear. It's like, you just can't say it enough. So where where did you get bit? How long did it take you to get diagnosed? Just a couple of those details. Well, you know, uh, I knew absolutely Lyme disease or tick-borne illness when I first uh, got sick. But it was a slow progression of things, rashes, pain, headaches, and different things. Uh, through doing research, I finally suspected Lyme disease. Uh, same story with a lot of people. You go in, you try to get tested. They say it doesn't exist here in this area. And, you know, a million excuses. And if you do test positive for it, then they don't know what to do. So I was run through the ringer and uh, started looking around and found a whole lot of other people that had the same thing happen to them or worse. And uh, I thought it was time that maybe I could help connect with people and uh, find a way to get a class action lawsuit going to help people. So how's that panning out? I mean, are people receptive? Well, not very good. It's about the same as Lyme disease, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you wanted to do an interview with me or offered to do an interview with me about four years ago, and uh, it, there wasn't really much to say, but I'm excited to say that there's three major suits going on right now that will affect all my patients and victims. So, so why don't you... I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, so why don't you give us a summary about those and kind of what jurisdiction they're in and what's going down? Well, uh, there's a, a RICO suit right now, which is a racketeering suit. It's usually used against gangsters and that type of people. And so there's 28 uh, Lyme patients from Texas and Arkansas that are uh, currently trying to sue for antitrust lawsuit, uh, the Infectious Disease Society of America, and uh, numerous insurance companies and a uh, few doctors as well. That's an interesting and, uh, that, way to think about yeah, it. And, and the, the, well, the premise is, is that uh, these insurance companies and doctors, including with United Care to patients, they've got a lot of uh, information and uh, testimony that's going to be pretty eye-opening. Do you have the dates on when that started? You know, I don't have the exact date, but I know it was filed within the last couple of years. Uh, spoken with a couple of the uh, plaintiffs and co-plaintiffs in that case and uh, you know with anything with this it's really slow going to get updates and that type of thing but that's uh, the RICO case which is really interesting and then uh, there's also a 57 million dollar lawsuit against the CDC by a pathologist named Dr. Lee and uh, he's claiming that the CDC purposefully stifled his ability to bring forth a better diagnostic test for Lyme, a DNA-based test. And this is a really interesting one. Uh, this case here may open up the door for a lot of uh, compensation to victims that uh, were tested with faulty testing over the last uh, 20 years. You know, I was just asked that question today by a, a mom of a patient who I've been dealing with for a few years now, and she had her daughter retested and basically asked me the question, you know, so what do you, what do you make of the Western blot tests? And, you know, that's just like, oh, God. You know, they're just, when they're right, they're right, but when they're wrong, they're useless. So we're not in the wrong, oh, when, yeah, when they come back right. negative. You know, when it comes, when it comes back positive, it's like, yeah, it's, it's hits the nail on the head, but it's like using, I don't know, trying to catch a whale with a, a little dinky fishing pole. Just it's the yeah, wrong the, the, wrong tool for the job. 
Well, yes, and uh, one of the things with Dr. Lee's case is developing the test. Um, he received serology samples from the CDC, and they were tainted uh, with multiple Borrelia species uh, that they didn't even know were in these samples. So uh, the CDC, once he uh, uh, reported that, they just quit even wanting to talk to him about it. It's really sad. Uh, all the, the a lot of the research that's been done has been done with tainted samples. <laughs> so hang, hang so on here. Got a really big mess here. Yeah. So by tainted, what what do you mean by that? Well, the the samples that he was supposed to uh, have uh, should have been either negative or positive with just Borrelia burgdorferi, but uh, he found multiple species of Borrelia, including relapsing fever species of Borrelia, in these same samples that he was supposed to be using to create this test with. And some of these samples were from patients that actually had neurologic Lyme disease and uh, didn't know they had multiple species of, were infected with multiple species. So it's kind of a big deal, you know. So do you think that's just incompetence or that's part of the cover-up? Yeah, I think it's a, a lot of both, you know. It's if you do enough research, it's pretty obvious that relapsing fever was all over the United States for years and years. Uh, Willie Burdorfer, who Lyme disease is named after, actually uh, found the biggest outbreak of relapsing fever in the United States was right where I live in Spokane, Washington, a group of Boy Scouts staying in a cabin, and they were all infected. So he was studying in this before Lyme disease was even named. So, I mean, it was pretty well known that relapsing fever was all over the country, but then they started slicing and dicing things up and trying to make off of it. And, uh, you know, it's gotten to just be a giant mess. Okay, so before we get into that a little bit, why don't you tell us about the third lawsuit? Yeah, and then the third case here is a gentleman from Canada named Frank, and he ha uh, has a half-million-dollar suit against a couple of doctors in Canada and he's uh, basically just saying uh, they failed to properly investigate, diagnose, and treat him, and that it's caused him years and years of suffering. And so that case uh, supposedly began yesterday. And I was trying to do some research on it before I spoke to you today, but I couldn't find any updates at all. So I'm not sure how it's going with that. But according to the news reports I saw, um, they're expecting a lot more cases like this in Canada and across the globe, actually. So. If uh, if the sickest patients, this is what I'm really working on trying to do, is help the sickest patients, the poorest patients, get access to legal assistance. And it's the difficult thing. You know, you have to know someone or have a lot of money to be able to, to, to go to court anymore. Yeah, it's not cheap. Have you, any success with pro bono work from some of the larger firms? You know, I've spoken with a lot of firms. They've been real resistant to, to even speak with me, to be honest with you. Morgan and Morgan. Uh, pretty much flat up said, don't call me. Anymore. They didn't <laughs> want to respond with me by email because they didn't want anything in writing about uh, why they didn't want to help us. But there was numerous law firms that did the same thing over the last four or five years. And one of the things that the class action lawsuit was doing is when people would uh, sign up as a co-plaintiff, we were asking go ahead and contact as many as they could. So this was kind of an initial growth pyramid type of a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, out of the 700 people that have contacted, I've had thousands very all over the place. So, I know that they know there's an issue with it, but as far as pro bono 
where it goes. Nobody's been uh, jumping out to help yet. So it's a matter of it's got to get the people signed up and then find some money, huh? And that, that's kind of it. And right now, uh, I, I've set up a, a platform called Crowd Justice. And what I want to do with that platform is raise money for, uh, for poor, poor, sick people, you know, so that they can find lawyers to help them. And what I'm looking for right now is a nonprofit uh, to team up with to raise the funds and a lawyer to look after them. Once that's set up, we can start raising money for for that. And I, I'm pretty excited about that as well. So when you reach out to some of these people who've been suffering with Lyme for a long time, you know, it's broken their bodies, it's broken their bank accounts, sometimes it's broken their families as well. What are they telling you? What are what are some of the themes that you hear? Well, it's really difficult to uh, uh, to read through all the stories because I've been asking for a brief uh, statement of grievances. You know, what what kind of problems did you have and what kind of legal problems are you facing? A lot of the most common theme is... is um, being misdiagnosed either with MS or a lot of other uh, fibromyalgia, those types of things, and being uh, treated with psychiatric drugs as opposed to um, a more appropriate treatment for infection. That's real. That's one of the real comments. I hear that theme in my interviews over and over again. And, you know, you hear different opinions about why that's happening, but I want to, I'm interested in your take on that. Like, what? What's the big deal? It's like, why is it so hard to get a Lyme diagnostic? Diagnostic At this point, there are decent tests even uh, out there, although they're not perfect. Well, a lot of it is misinf- misinformation from our health organizations. You know, the CDC is slowly changing what they're saying about Lyme disease. But uh, four years ago, you know, they, they were claiming there was only uh, 30,000 cases. And poof, okay, it's 10 times higher. But they also claimed that the geography of Lyme was restricted to a small area on the East Coast. Like I said earlier, I've been all over the United States. You know, every state, I've talked to someone in every single state that's been affected by this. Doctors will go to the CDC website and say, okay, well, we don't have Lyme disease here. We won't give you that test. And so it's pretty much written off before, you know, you go on. And then after you get a few BS diagnoses and you still feel like crap, you know, you start doing your own research and other talking about it. Well, maybe it is Lyme disease, and you go to ask for that test, and uh, they're really resistant to it. Then a lot of people go on and just have it the test paid for privately. They just pay out of pocket to have the test done just to finally exactly. get some knowledge, kind of some solace that they actually have a, a disease that can be named and it's not some mystery thing. My favorite is when they said, well, you don't, you know, you don't really have the the markers for lupus. Um, You know, you don't really have the markers for rheumatoid arthritis and it's, you know, it's definitely not ALS, but it's kind of sort of more like lupus. So we're going to call it lupus, even though you don't have the markers for it. (laughs) And you're screaming, you know, hear these stories and you're screaming. It's like, oh my God, just test for Lyme, please, dear God. Well, yeah, and then even the Lyme diagnosis doesn't uh, guarantee good treatment, obviously. You know, if you get pigeonholed into one of these other diagnoses, at least you're going to be seeing a doctor, your MS provider, your fibromyalgia person, whoever these specialists are. But if you do get the Lyme disease diagnosis, or, or, or here's your two weeks of doxycycline, 
good luck. You know, uh, CDC says it's cured. So, you know, it's just this circular uh, logic problem. And uh, until they recognize that Lyme is a persistent disease in people and that human beings are actually hosts of these bacteria, they're going to be barking up the wrong tree here. Are you starting to hear stories about doctors who are coming around? Maybe their hands are tied by regulations, but at least they're a little more sympathetic. I'm, I'm starting to hear a few stories like that in my area here in central New York. Yeah, I, I, I think that's happening all over the place. As this is getting to be a bigger deal, you know, a lot of doctors, what did I do here? But then, you know, without any real reliable treatments for yeah. late stage, I know, uh, where do they go from that? They really want to help patients, but not only are their hands tied, but really don't have a toolkit to be able to use those, So. We just had a Lyme literate doc open a clinic about 45 minutes from where I live, and she branched off from a larger clinic that's fairly well known in the area. I'm just going to leave the names out for now. And, you know, she she came in, she was charging a fair price. It's expensive, but a fair price. But she found in the community she was in, she even had to lower her prices more. And even with that, my patients come in, yeah, you know, but there's this new great Lyme literate doctor in the area, but man, she's expensive. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, in, until the efforts that you and other people are doing to bring the payment system on board, it's going to be really, really rough uh, to move forward. And you know, some people can handle the payments and, you know, it still is a major strain on a family, no doubt about it. But there's so many people out there who just really don't have the resources at all and really rely on right. the system to take care of them. And the system's failing them miserably. Right. It's a, it both the, the, the public assistance is failing them and then also the regular insurance systems failing them as well. And most of the people who are the sickest with Lyme uh, are very, very desperate people. And unfortunately, yeah, a, a few of the people that have signed up as co-plinkists have passed away in the last five years since this has been going. It's really upsetting to even think about it, but uh, the main purpose that I'd like to see is to be able to compensate these people and let them do with the money what they need to do. You know, they can find doctors or make arrangements for end-of-life care or, you know, you know, the problem is, is you can't just let somebody make all the decisions for these people because there isn't any uh, silver bullet for this. Right. So that's why I'd like to see people get compensation as quickly as possible so that they can uh, do what they need to do to survive or make final arrangements or do whatever they need to do. Do you think that lawsuit out in California, the man who sued, who was is either Nestle or Monsanto, I'm not sure who it was at the time, about glyphosate and one about his cancer. Do you think that sort of thing kind of begins to prime the pump for what you're trying to accomplish? I really do think because some of these uh, bigger-than-life companies, Monsanto are now Bayer. um, That's right, Bayer, right. Thanks, yeah. For for years and years have been taking advantage of people and local governments and uh, lying to people, you know, and... um, I'm, I really think, uh, I think his name's uh, Mr. Johnson on that case. I really think that that's 
excellent, and I hope that he sees the money while he's alive so that he can spend some quality time with his family and do the things that he needs to do after such a battle with those guys, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of with that, I mean, that's pretty clear cut, right? It was a, I mean, obviously there are some activists behind that kind of getting things organized and getting them in contact with the right people and getting the right case to lead the charge, so to speak, because his, his case was pretty straightforward. It's like he worked at the golf course. That was the only chemical they used. And I did more. He worked for a school system. That's right. He worked for a school system. But anyway, as a straightforward case, it's like what what does the Lyme community like? Who would be the perfect plaintiff? Who would be the perfect person to go? You know, what do we need for that? Uh, you know, class action at this point. You know, he he kind of like the the tip of the spear, and you would think after that that you're going to see massive class action lawsuits against Bear for the glyphosate yeah, and that, damage. It is. It- and they're starting to roll out right now. I don't know uh, a whole lot about what's happening next with that, but I can tell you that they are starting to roll out more cases. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen. Um, you know, if it'll bankrupt these companies or if uh, if they'll do the right thing and uh, help people and quit making the poison, you know. So in the glyphosate lawsuit, it was pretty clear who we're suing, right? The manufacturer of it. But who do who do you sue in Lyme disease? Can you sue the IDSA? Are they protected? Can you you know somebody is suing the CDC? But you know what are you going to get out of the government? Well, with Dr. Lee's suit against the CDC, they, they there's such a thing as called sovereign immunity for these government agencies. So Dr. Lee is kind of going into the back door, saying, "Okay, I'm not suing the CDC directly. I'm suing members." of the CDC for uh, stopping me from bringing a test to market, which he could have made money from. So he's looking for damages um, because his test was suppressed. And so it couldn't be brought to market and be used. Um, And so that's kind of his back door into being able to expose some of the corruption in the CDC. But as far as a class action against who, who to bring that against, well, there's a lot of people that you could bring it against, um, and it really depends on how you frame it and who you're trying to help as well. Um, the, most people, you know, have been mistreated, uh, misharmed, or harmed. Uh, you know, you did an interview with uh, Jenna Lush, and she uh, kind of put, or laid it out there real well. You know, the human rights abuses is really what the big issue is right here, and regardless of the science. You just don't treat people the way that they're treating people. So, yeah, I'd like to see the CDC be sued, but they may not be the ones that uh, um, can do the paying out, you know? Right. Because if your bottom line is to get people the care that they need, right? Yeah, or at least the funds to where they can go try to find care, you know? I mean, if you have money, at least you might be able to go see a line literate doctor. Yeah, exactly. So maybe insurance companies would be a, a target as well. I think yeah, that, and that's in the re, in the RICO case. You yeah. know, they're going after quite a few insurance companies. That's that's such an interesting approach. It's really quite creative. And you said how many people are in that involved in that lawsuit? In the in the RICO case, there's 28 people. So okay. um, one gal and uh, 27 other co-plaintiffs on there, and they they're not taking any more people onto the case. But um, 
the the fifty seven million dollar case, uh, there's an interesting quote from Dr. Lee that I'd like to read from you. And um, this is from a different article that I was reading uh, by a guy named Hugh. But this is Dr. Lee's quote: "We have tried everything: reasoning, petitions, complaining, pleading. It's time to change course." However, I'm a lone wolf with one meager voice. If thousands of patients are filing SF-1000 forms, each demanding a million dollars of damage due to suppression of early diagnostics, the judge may think differently. Even if I lose the case and the patients win 10,000 per case, the CDC would have to change its line policy. Someone has to try, and we are given the opportunity now. So Dr. Lee is suggesting that um, patients petition the government the same way he did um, for money uh, due to not being able to have an accurate test for Lyme disease and therefore not being treated early, which is supposedly the, the key to successful treatment. It was in my case. I mean, I was lucky enough to get a rash within days after being bit and um, got modest doxycycline. And for the most part, eh, you know, I'm probably lacking some of the energy that I should otherwise have. But for the most part, I've been okay. You know, I'm not dealing with daily pain and, you know, just trying to negotiate whether I should spend my energy doing laundry or trying to go to work kind of thing. So my heart goes out to all the people who do have to make those daily decisions. It's just, it's insane. It's not right. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it is really frustrating not having a, a, a clear target of who to go after at this, you know, but with all these lawsuits going on, it's starting to, um, it's starting to show who's involved in what type of corruption, and um, we can work on it from that angle, and as long as we can get some compensation to the victims, I will be very happy. So you've been really paying attention to this as it's been moving forward slowly over the years and, you know, doing almost like Ouija board, right? It's like reading, reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves. What do you see as the major kind of vectors in, in how behind the scenes all this was, excuse me, all this was being suppressed? It's like, how, how did they get this done? You know, it's uh, there's a lot of other people that know those details a lot better than I do, do but, uh, you know, basically it's just using semantic games, uh, you know, changing definitions, just a little tweak here, a little tweak there, and you can get a pretty big result in the end and a pretty big problem in the end. You know, Dr. Gary Wormser, they were going to bring him on board on to the Lyme disease uh working group yep and uh luck and he declined the invitation after a petition with ten thousand people was signed but you know he's named in the rico lawsuit as one of the doctors that is involved with collaborating with these insurance companies and uh, so i mean he's the first choice to bring on the stick born working group really <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it works. You know, you just get these guys in, in the right position at the right time and they can um, keep moving forward their agenda. Well, they're the quote, a, yeah, they're the, mistake. things like that. They're, they're the quote unquote experts. So they're in on everything. Um, that's one of the advantages of being a first mover in an area and being acknowledged as an expert as you're on all the panels and you show up again and again. Regulatory capture. It's a funny phrase, but essentially it means that the government sends up 
or, or an organization sets up a, a mechanism to keep track of something. Like a uh, famous example is a taxi board to manage taxi fees and make sure they're not robbing people. And at some point in time, what happens is the people running the taxi companies <laughs> start sitting on the board. And then the people sitting on the board starts running taxi companies. And it all ends up being one big happy protection racket for the taxi companies. And then when something like Uber comes along. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, they get shut down. And it is, it, it's totally racketeering. And it's all... You know, it's it's not mob racketing, right? They're not breaking kneecaps out there, but they're they play for keeps and shut any, and they any have done innovation out. Pretty dirty things. Yeah, you know, there's uh, been a, a lot of Lyme disease activists uh, that have been harassed. You know, I've been harassed. I don't really want to talk about that too much, but I mean, a lot of us have been singled out. Um, you know, and had some pretty dirty stuff go on. You know targeting computers and, you know, troll farms and whatnot, you know, it's pretty lame. Can you give an example of that without naming names? Cause that's, it's- well, you know, you just, you just, you go, you try to do something and then one group of people will start bullying or attacking you, um, uh, call you a fraud or whatever it is, you know, and it's, it happens to almost every one of the line advocates I've seen out there, you know, and it's really sad. And, you know, a lot of it is organized by some of these groups that want to keep us splintered and not move forward with the, mo- the most effective tools we've been using. That almost sounds depressing. <laughs> so what's, what's, <laughs> what's the light at the end of the tunnel? It's like, what's, what should we focus on to keep us motivated and keep our eye on the brass ring, so to speak? Well, I just think that everybody doing their own thing um, and uh, trying to keep each other's spirits up and working through this is the only thing we really can do. Um, you know, the light of the tunnel, I hope, is is that um, we'll get our day in court, you know, and that this will be exposed for what it is, you know. Awesome. One of the biggest medical crimes of the century. It just might be. It just might be. If people are interested in finding out more about these lawsuits or what you're trying to do or Dr. Lee, where, where can they go find that information or sign up or join up or throw money at you, whatever they're motivated to do? Well, the Facebook page uh, where I try to keep uh, all my stuff together is Lyme Patients versus CDC Class Action Lawsuit. So there, you can search the posts in there and look for different stuff. It has a variety of different information on there, you know, uh, about the lawsuits and also about uh, different research and things. So, uh, and you can also send me an email at curethecdc at gmail.com. That's C-U-R-E-T-H-E-C-D-C at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to send you a bunch of information that I send uh, to the other co-plaintiffs that uh, write me. Awesome. And Ross, I'd also like to end with one question. And that question is, if you had one bit of advice and action that somebody with Lyme disease could take, like right now after listening to this, what, what would it be? What would you advise somebody to do? Well, uh, what I tell people to do is to... Try to gather as much of your medical records as you can and start calling lawyers and tell them there's a whole bunch of us that need help. 
And I mean, that's if you're well enough to do it. And if not, there's a whole bunch of other places and uh, websites out there that give you information on the other parts of Lyme disease. Awesome. Ross, thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. I really, really appreciate it and look forward to seeing and hearing about some results. Yeah, thank you, Mickey. I really enjoyed our talk. This was a really interesting interview. You know, Lyme disease is such an isolating illness. You know, it, it number one, it's important to remember that, that there's a community. But number two, with each fight that you, you go through, you know, even if it's something as simple, well, it's not even simple. And that's the problem. Nothing simple with Lyme no, disease. nothing simple with Lyme disease. But when you take the time to make sure your doctor files your Lyme disease report to the CDC or get an, a, like an official diagnosis that CDC recognized, like that sort of thing, you're making it easier for the next person who gets Lyme disease. That's so true. Every once in a while here at Lyme Ninja Radio, we like to zoom out. In this case, we zoomed way out and get away from exactly metabolic pathways and how the bugs infect you. And yeah. recently, we've been dealing a lot with other conditions that can affect Lyme disease like oxalates and iron oxidation that make this such a difficult disease to treat and cure. We do like to zoom out and look at the big, big picture and really the lawsuit type actions that are out there are designed to wake up and shake up bureaucracies. And that's why we have lawyers and courts. And it's important for those efforts to go on. So I encourage you, if you have the energy, the interest, go ahead and call, contact Ross and get involved with that or start your own. Whether it's advocacy or a lawsuit, we need this type of broad-based stuff. And really, these are the actions for people who have either gotten through Lyme disease and now have the energy to go back or for the people who love people suffering with Lyme disease and do have the energy and the resources to do this thing. We're not asking you to get off your bed and start marching on the streets, although once a year isn't a bad thing. <laughs> that, that but we does know it happen. may take you right that a, does happen. <laughs> a week or a month to recover from that. We're asking the people who can do who do have the energy, who do have the spoons available, so to speak, who have a no, whole drawer full of spoons now because they're recovered and feeling good. Some of you out there know in your hearts that this is something you want to do, and we just encourage you to take those actions. And those of you who don't have the pioneering spirit and don't want to take up the flag directly, you can advocate and support and cheer on those people who are taking on these efforts. It is one big community, and together we can make this all better. A lot of little snowflakes make up a snowstorm, which we have been having a lot recently. <laughs> if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And if you really, really like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, share this podcast with a friend. You just might save their life. Also, do you have feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything? Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yes, please do. We do read every email that comes in, and we try to respond to most of them. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know 
ninjas give poison ivy a rash. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.